Hello? Howdy, y'all. Do I sound like a genuine southerner? Nope. Not at all. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and I am here with my buddy Scott H. Gardner. Howdy! Scott Howdy Gardner. Howdy do, neighbor. <laughs> How's it going? I think if I say howdy and if I say y'all, people will think I'm from the South. <laughs> no. What do you think? No, I don't think so. People would think you were transplanted to the South from the North, but that's that's about as far as it's going to go. <laughs> hey, y'all, why don't you come on back and we'll put some grits on the oven. What do you think? <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of grits... After uh, nearly 30 years of living in the South, I finally broke down and tried uh, shrimp and grits recently, and damn, it was good. It I have was had really shrimp good. and I've grits. I've always thought it sounded absolutely disgusting. What's that? I have had shrimp and grits. You have had it? Yes, and it is delicious. What do you think? Yeah, it is. It Why really wouldn't good. you have shrimp and grits? It's just, you, you know, it's one of those things. It's, you know, it's for me, it was one of those things where I love shrimp, I love grits. The thought of putting them together sounded disgusting to me, but uh, my wife took me out. So I'm back on my low-carb, no-carb diet, right? So we were out driving all over the place the other night trying to find somewhere we could agree on to eat. And uh, we finally settled on this place, something Gator. Or maybe it might have been called Gators, I forget, but it was something Gator in the title. And I thought, yeah, we'll try it. And it was a sports bar type of place. So I'm looking over the menu, and I really am not finding, like, anything at all that – I mean, plenty of stuff that sounds appealing, but nothing that really fits with the diet type of thing. So picking the what I figured was probably the, the lesser of all evils, I went with the, with the shrimp, and, shrimp and grits, thinking I'm probably going to hate this, but, you know, shrimp. So I, uh, I dug into it, and, oh, my God, I ate everything but the plate. It was uh, it was fantastic. It was really, really good stuff. But that has nothing to do with anything, but you mentioned grits. <laughs> well, and then just, just to, uh, to keep going on the southern aspect of things, uh, I happened to, uh, my wife and I happened to have dinner on Saturday with uh, Mr. Pascarella and his wife. And we went, ah. we went over to his house, and uh, he fired up the barbecue grill, and he threw a couple of steaks on there and some zucchini, and he, his his wife had made some shrimp scampi, uh, and we had a delicious meal. 
And while while the steaks were on the on the grill, or actually while the zucchini was on the grill, uh, I got Mr. Rifen on the phone, <laughs> and and he couldn't be more appalled. Uh, he couldn't going. be more appalled. But he was like, "What the hell is that on there?" Uh, but then 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 when I put when I had the steaks on, I took a picture. Well, when he had the steaks on, I took a picture and sent that. He says, "Now you're getting closer." <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Oh man, I wish I could have been there. So no, bad. I wish, I wish you could have been, been there been as well. There. But you know, we had fun. We had fun without you. <laughs> but hey, you know something I was thinking about the other day. So you know, just <laughs> I feel like we're tangling like crazy already. But while I've got you here, and while I'm thinking about it, you know, I'm I'm back at work now, and and uh, things are going well, and uh, actually, you know, making some good money and everything. Uh, you know, part of my job is, uh, you know, part of what I do is uh, tip based, and the tips have been pretty good. So I've been stashing a little bit away here and there, and I got to thinking. Um, you know, I'd really like to come up sometime and do one of the big cons with you. If if you you still go to like New York Comic Con and stuff, right? Um, you know, I was just in, I I had put in for a uh, press pass for this year again, uh, mm-hmm. and I was a little more optimistic about the possibility of getting it because I actually had some download numbers for us that I was able to put in the application, as opposed to well, I think we do do this. You know, right. uh, I haven't heard back yet. Uh, so it's a possibility I'm going this year. I don't know for sure one way or the other just yet, uh, but we are going to see. Well, and, and I, I, my, my, you know, ultimately that's my long-winded way of answering. Yeah, I'm still interested in going to a big con. Well, we'll have to talk about this more off air. But uh, yeah, the the thought occurred to me the other day that uh, you know I was, I was itching for us to be able to get you know some excuse for us to get together. I was thinking about this after. Uh, uh, you know, Bill and I had just recently gone together to Tampa Bay Comic Con, and I was like, you know, I would really want to try to, you know, get together with Paul and you know go to another con, and maybe even uh, maybe we, we could put something together again like uh, Freak Fest or, or something like that. You know, uh, get some other even if it was just you know the New York based freaks, you know, together and uh, you know get together and do something. But I sure would like to come up and, and you know be able to do something together. So. Like I say, it's something we, we continue can to speak. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, but with all of that on hold, uh, today we <laughs> are doing Thing Hulk, what I like to call round eleven and a half, because <laughs> it's not the Thing, and it's not the Hulk, it's the She Hulk, and the She Thing. Because Ooh. if you're female, you need to have She at the beginning of your name. <laughs> much much like if you're African American, your superhero name has to be Black Whatever. Right, right. You know, it, it's it's a it's a very very silly trope that I think they've pretty much done done away with. And and <laughs> to be fair, the the Black one is the one that I I find to be a little bit more silly, because the She Hulk and She Thing both came into existence after we already had a Hulk and had a Thing, so to distinguish right. them it makes some sense. But like when you had to have Black Goliath and you had to have Black Panther, well the Black Panther kind of makes sense, but you know Black Lightning, you know whatever, like all these black characters that you have to have black before their name just didn't seem right. I don't mean to be uh, well, you, know, you know to be a a social justice warrior here. <laughs> but it just seems kind of silly to me to to single them out that way. You know that that's one of those tra- you know that when it comes to the black one that was one of those things that always you know kind of bugged me a little bit. But 
it was something I never really thought about until this this She Hulk uh, series that's on Disney Plus right now about the She Hulk name, and it got me to thinking. Okay, if she wasn't the She Hulk, what would you call her? Well, you you know what recently got me thinking about it is the Hawkeye series. The uh, oh, listen, I can't think of her name. The uh, Kate Bishop. Yeah. Also goes by the name Hawkeye. They didn't feel the need to name right. her She Hawkeye, <laughs> you know, to distinguish her. They just said, <laughs> you know, she's Hawkeye too. And, and I, I guess from a branding point of view, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, otherwise, you know, then we have the Hulk, we have the She-Hulk, we have the Red Hulk. You know, it's, I, I don't know if they need to be distinguished that way. I don't know. Right. But then again, you do, you know, like if you're the press, you want to be able to distinguish them. You know, if this was a real world thing. Right. But I, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I don't think, the, I don't think we'd have a Black Hulk. Right. You know, people well, I mean, say, oh, that's in, insulting. In, <laughs> you know, in her particular case, I mean, she was invented by Stan, you know, one of the one of the last Marvel characters that, you know, he created. So I would like to think he gave it some serious thought before, you know, before ultimately settling on She-Hulk. But uh, then again, who knows? Well, when you, when you hear Stan talk or when, you know, back in the day when you would hear Stan talk, uh, a lot of times it made, he made it sound like, well... I don't know. They said name a you know name a character, and I just said Ed she to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know he, when he talks about like the X Men, he talks about that that he started to get lazy and he 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 got tired of coming up with uh, you know origins for these people. So he's like, no, nah, they were born that way. <laughs> you know, like that's how like like he had enough. So I, I'm not sure how much thought he put into the name She Hulk, but it, it also could have been. Again, it could have been a branding thing to, you know, to make sure they saved the copyright for it somehow. Right, right. So I, I, I don't <laughs> know, like, what the business reasons were, but the character of the She-Hulk has become, you know, more popular over the years, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I like the fact well, that she's... Well, it occurs to me that we could... I'm sorry, I was going to say, I just like mm-hmm. the fact that she's easily distinguishable from the Hulk. She's not, you know, she's not just a female version of the same exact thing. She's got a very, exactly, very different yeah. personality, and, and, you know, her situation in life is very, very different from his. It's not, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, Bruce Banner's going to disappear for a while, and we're going to have Jennifer Walters as the uh, the She-Hulk, and she's going to take over his magazine. Uh, but, you know, she's going to basically be the same character, just, you know, meeting the same villains that he fought over the years, and, you know, gives us a chance to just kind of have a new character out there. You know, it seems like right. that's that's what they did a lot of times with you know these legacy heroes that they came up with, and I don't I never felt that was the case here. Right. No, I I I've always been interested in the character. I mean, I wouldn't say I was like a huge fan or anything. Um, you know, never uh, you know like sought out uh you know issues of of her individual series. Although I I think at one point. I did have when I when I finally sold it. I think I did have a complete run of her first series, which I actually wish I still had now, um, because there were some issues of that I actually liked rather a lot, um, both story and art wise. And then I had uh, her latter series, a sensational She-Hulk, just the initial burn run before Burn left the book, and then other people took over. 
Um, I don't have any of them now because when they made that uh, announcement, she was getting uh, her own series there a while back. Um, those books exploded through the roof, and uh, I dumped them very quickly. So, because I wasn't sure how long that uh, that would last, so I you know I tried to strike while the iron was hot type of thing. But uh, mm, you know, but she's always a character that I, I liked, and I, I particularly you know I really you know like most everybody else, she she came to prominence when she was a member of the Fantastic Four. And Byrne really, you know, fleshed her character out and all that and made her interesting. And that that's kind of where I, uh, you know, really kind of discovered the character and, and found her interesting and everything. I really liked Byrne's take on her, uh, particularly the the graphic novel that he did, the She-Hulk graphic novel, I always thought was, was really good. And I liked her uh, dynamic with Cap in... Uh, West Coast Avengers as well when they were in there uh, briefly during the burn run. I have the uh, the initial series, uh, Savage She Hulk. Uh huh. You know, twenty five issues. I I do have them all. Uh, and and now you you got me curious. If I were to throw that full run onto uh, eBay, what do you think I could get for that? And I'm, I just tried, decided, well, let me look and see if anybody has a full run of it on there, and I don't see anybody. That first issue, I mean, I probably actually sold them a little bit prematurely, but it's it was one of those things where, for me, uh, I mean, until they made that announcement of her getting her own show, she that sensational, the latter series, Sensational She-Hulk, was worthless. You'd see those in the dollar bins or 50-cent bins all the time. And then as soon as that announcement got made, all of a sudden Sensational She-Hulk went through the roof, you know, number one. So I just put the whole bunch of them up, and I forget what I got out of it, but it was a nice chunk of change. And then I kept watching Savage She-Hulk um, number one climb and climb and climb. So I put the, the whole, I'm pretty sure I had the whole series on that, or at least a solid run. And I put those up, and I forget what I got out of them, but I'm, I'm thinking it was a couple hundred bucks at least, because the first issue, well, actually, I can tell you, let me tell you, I, I look right here real quick on um, Key Collector, which is usually pretty good guide for uh, for how things are going. Let's see, She-Hulk. Uh, that's weird. Savage She-Hulk's not here. That's. Oh, wait, here it is, yes. Uh, they've got it falling slightly right now. So this means it it recently had a higher price on it. But the range they've got is the low to high is eighteen dollars on the low end and one hundred and eighty five dollars on the high end. And that's issue one. Well, I'm just looking so, on eBay and I do see somebody's got Savage She Hulk number one complete series one through twenty five six hundred forty five dollars. Buy it now. Holy price. shit. Yeah, I think it, it, you'd probably be better off to look at sold and see what things are actually selling for, because they can list it for any crazy yeah, price no, they want. But are people actually, you know, are they actually spending that much? Yeah, that is very but, true. But yeah. I, you know, I mean, if if somebody said to me, "I'll give you five hundred bucks for the twenty-five issues," I think I'd be looking to mail them out now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
Anyway, I, I wish I had made an. I, maybe I did. I don't. I don't think I was on uh, CLZ yet when I sold those. But I'm going to take a quick look here and let's see. Do, do I? Did I? Did I make a record? I did not make a record of what I sold those for. Now I. Now I'm curious. I wish I knew what I had actually sold uh, those She-Hulks for because I don't remember. But it, like I say, it was. It was a nice chunk of change, and it was one of those things where I was just happy to just get rid of them because there's certain books as I went through when I was doing my calling project a while back, there were certain books that I was just looking at it going, nobody's going to buy this. And that, and you know, sensational she Hulk was one of those books where I just looked at it and said, I'm going to have to end up giving this away. Nobody wants this. It's in 50 cent books all across the country. And then the next thing you know, it's a hot book. So you never know what's going to blow up. You know, no, that's very true. <laughs> But today we are looking, if you recall, in our last Thing Hulk retrospective, we covered Fantastic Four 320 and Hulk 350, which had the gray Hulk against the uh, more mutated Thing. And Hulk, right. uh, Fantastic Four 321 promised us a battle between the She-Hulk and the She-Thing, and we said then... Let's consider doing that when the time comes. And you know what? The time has come. <laughs> All right. So we are looking at Fantastic Four number 321. This is the uh, December 1988 cover dated issue. Uh, has a cover on it by Ron Friends, a favorite of mine, uh, with inks by Joe Sinnott. Uh, the interior, the story, is entitled after the fall and the writer on this issue is steve engelhart penciler and i think he's bill i'm going to flip to the first page here yes special guest artist ron lim and i'm thinking this is probably pretty early in ron lim's career although i did not look that up ahead of time but i'm just guessing by the art that it's probably pretty early in his career um inker romeo tangal who we were just talking about in another episode not long ago uh, colorist George Russo's letterer John Workman, and then it has uh, two editors listed here. You've got uh, Ralph Macchio and uh, Mark Grunewald, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Ralph Macchio as we get into this, if I remember to bring it up. Anyway, synopsis on this is from the uh, official Marvel Wiki here, the Marvel Fandom Wiki. So uh, I have not pre-read this, so we'll see if it's any good or not. See, you guys have, have your your laziness is infectious because now I'm doing this. Now I'm just pulling pre-written synopses off the internet. But oh well. So here we go. Uh, searching for the Hulk after his battle with the Thing, Ms. Marvel. Now Ms. Marvel is the She Thing, by the way. Ms. Marvel has stormed in on the apartment of the Hulk's cousin Jennifer Walters, aka the She Hulk. When She Hulk hears about how Ben is in the hospital. Uh, she offers her condolences, but Sharon is too angry over the situation that she lets out her frustrations on Jen, accusing her of taking Ben's place when he had been estranged from the Fantastic Four and bailed as soon as he returned. Jennifer defends herself, reminding Ms. Marvel that she was chosen by the Thing and that she served the Fantastic Four proudly. She also offers her apologies for Sharon's recent transformations into a She-Thing. When Sharon blows this off, She-Hulk reaches for her, demanding to know why she is seeking out the Hulk. When Sharon tells Jen that she intends to defeat the Hulk in a fight, she angrily slaps Walter's hand away. 
This leads to the two female powerhouses trading blows, smashing through the walls of the apartment building, spilling the battle out onto the street. Although Sharon has the advantage of landing the first blow, eventually She-Hulk turns the tables and knocks Ventura down. Feeling uh, Feeling like she has gotten her aggression out of her system, Sharon finally decides to listen to reason and talk things out with Jennifer instead. As peace is being made, the two women are unaware that they are being watched by a mysterious being who has rented out an empty office space on the 100th floor of the Empire State Building. His viewing of the events uh, happening in the city below are almost interrupted by the nighttime janitor making his rounds. However, before he can open the door into the empty office, the mysterious man uses his mental powers to make the man believe he has cleaned the office already, forcing him to turn and leave. Satisfied that his work will be uninterrupted, he whistles for his minion to get to work. After the Empire State Building, or excuse me, above, rather, above the Empire State Building, the Dragon Man howls in response and flies into the air above the city. Meanwhile, at a nearby bar, the She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel sit down for a drink so Sharon can uh, tell her all about what, uh, what has happened. Sharon recalls how she, Johnny, and his wife, Alicia, rushed down to the hospital to check on Ben after his fight with the Hulk. Sharon had apologized for not being there, but Ben remarks how he finally managed to beat the Hulk in a one-on-one brawl, uh, which is not entirely true. (laughs) Ben recalls how the battle was briefly interrupted by a mechanical version of the Hulk and how at the end of the fight the Hulk attempted to drown him. With the story over, Alicia offers to stay and keep Ben company. This causes a moment of unease with Johnny, but Sharon uh, doesn't have a problem with her staying as they all know where everyone stands in their relationships. She then remarks on how when she left the hospital, Sharon spotted a strange man standing on the street. This individual then blasted her with an energy beam and then quickly vanished. Concluding her tale, Sharon explains why this... Uh, why this was why she was in such an angry mood. Boy, that's horribly written. Uh, when she showed up on the She-Hulk doorstep looking for her cousin. Back at the hospital, uh, Alicia and Ben have a moment to talk about how strained things had gotten after Ben, uh, after Ben found out she and Johnny were in a relationship and later got married. The two reconcile the pain that the union has caused, and Ben tells her that he uh, sees the bright side now. If it weren't for Johnny and Alicia getting together... Wait, what? And Ben tells her that he sees the bright side now. If it weren't for Johnny... What the... That makes no sense. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. If it weren't for Johnny and Alicia getting together, he wouldn't have gotten... uh, He wouldn't have his current romance with Sharon. Okay, again, that's horribly written, but at least I understand what he's saying. Uh, Elsewhere in the city, the Human Torch flies uh, in the air, mulling over his current problems, realizing that while he loves his wife, he still has feelings for his old girlfriend, Crystal, uh, Crystal of the Inhumans. This is made all the more troubling after he felt jealousy when uh, Alicia opted to stay with Ben at the hospital. Thinking it all over, he is glad that Crystal has returned to the moon to try and work out her marriage with Quicksilver and be with her husband and daughter. He finds that even though uh, he has been faithful to his wife, these thoughts about Crystal make him uh, still make him feel guilty. At that moment, 
She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel are walking the streets as Sharon explains the romantic troubles plaguing her teammates uh, over the last while. Uh, when uh, over the last, there's a word missing. While when suddenly <laughs> they are both attacked by the Dragon Man. The creature begins striking Sharon, and when She-Hulk tries to come to her aid, the android pushes her aside. Sharon manages to fight it off, and Jen tries to rejoin the fight, but gets tripped up by the creature's tail. As they continue fighting, She-Hulk realizes that uh, she has to change tactics. Remembering hearing about how the Dragon Man had an infatuation for the Invisible Woman, Jen begins flaunting her body at the android, making it bashful enough that it flees the scene without further incident. Sharon then remarks on the irony of how it is the very femininity that she has lost becoming the she-thing, the thing that she so reviled, that ultimately won the battle that day. But still in the end, Sharon feels she has gained so much being mutated by cosmic rays, she is glad she sacrificed her womanhood in order to be where she is now. As the two women walk away from the scene of the battle, Dragon Man secretly enters the Empire State Building, returning to its master. The mysterious man considers this attack a complete success as he managed to collect just what he was seeking, a sample of Ms. Marvel's blood. Having already harnessed the cells of the thing, all that remains are the cells belonging to the torch, a challenge considering, uh, a challenge considering the hero's flame powers. However, the mysterious being is convinced that this will not prove to be a difficult problem for someone who is a watcher. Phew! He looks like a baby watcher. He's got like the big baby, <laughs> yeah, big, he big baby head. Now, I know I had to have read this before, but wow, I remembered absolutely none of this. Um but it was cool to, to read it because, for one, I, I think we get a pretty good tussle between She-Hulk and She-Thing. Um, but again, it's it's a nice insight into this era and things that were happening um, both in FF and uh, and just kind of the, the Marvel Universe in general at this time. Um, what, what did you think? Had you read this one before? I don't think I ever did. Um, you know, my first thought was... Looking at the cover, you know the big secret. It's like, oh yeah, well that's Dragon Man. Uh, like that, that, <laughs> that didn't really, uh, you know, didn't didn't really hide the fact very well at all. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I kind of liked it, and you know, just like with the last issue, this one's got me wanting to read more of this era. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out where I should begin. And, you know, I, I kind of want to almost go back to the beginning of the burn run, which is 234 yeah. or thereabouts, 232, whatever it is. I 232, but I could be wrong, yeah. yeah. It, somewhere in that Stop. area. Uh, but I'm just my, my only concern is if I go that far back, I might peter out before I get this far. And I'd like to get this far having yeah. read a lot of the burn run already anyway. Uh, but I, I I think that that might be my next reading project is to, to go back and do that. Uh, and I, I think I'm going to try and do it from the burn run on. Uh, I remember just before the burn run, I didn't really care for what they, they did. It was like a Bill Sienkiewicz uh, couple of issues. Yeah, you had mentioned that to me a couple of years ago when we were doing an episode of, of something talking about the FF. And I was kind of surprised to hear that because I, I was totally unaware of that. 
Um, so I've since collected all that stuff, although I haven't read any of it um, and, and curious to read that. But, yeah, it's funny. I, I had the exact same thought as you reading this uh, or rereading it. Again, I'm not sure I've ever read this before, um, but reading it, uh, I was the same way. I was like, man, you know, I'd really like to uh, to do a read through of all this stuff, you know, and because and, I came in. You know, I, of course, I read all the burn stuff and everything, but as soon as he left, I left. And then I would drop in periodically, you know, for little bits here and there, but I didn't collect or read FF again until much later. And I'm thinking it was issue, I think it was with 371, was which was the famous issue where he, uh, he, set, uh, he set ESU on fire. And that was right in the era where there's bit you know there's been big revelations and and you know the whole team dynamic had kind of changed and uh and things had kind of come to a head with you know this whole kind of love triangle thing between Johnny and Alicia and uh and Ben and everything so this right where this issue we just covered you know right where this sits is in an era that I'm familiar with only through you know, Wikipedia articles and stuff. I've never actually like read solidly through it. And I'd really like to, cause I, I was intrigued by this. And of course it's Steve Englehart. I, I, I think he, he's a great writer. I've always thought he's a really great comics writer. So yeah, no, I, yeah, I, totally I might, agree. I might do exactly the same thing. <laughs> I totally agree with that. What do you think of the, uh, Ron Limard in this? Uh, I like Ron Lim a lot. As do um, I. But yeah, this this is weird. Um, some of it I really like, but that opening splash is awful. Well, the opening um, splash, the proportions are all weird. And she, the She Hulk looks very two dimensional in the opening splash. Yeah, and the door yeah. around her, you know, like it, it just doesn't. It, it doesn't, it, you know, like the whole depth just doesn't feel like it's there. Um, I really like the way the she thing is drawn in this issue. Uh, yeah, I, I think she, you know, she like it, you can almost feel that texture on her. It, it's you know from the yeah. way it's drawn, and and I think she, you know, she looks threatening, and it, it, it's a great contrast to her, you know, talking about how she, you know, had issues with when she, you know, was a good-looking woman, and people would, you know, I guess, you know, take her. Uh, you know, wouldn't take her seriously as far as, you know, a person, and they just were attracted to the way she looked. And now she's, you know, so much more comfortable in her own skin, and she's, you know, in her own way, you know, a little bit monstrous. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of like that whole story that they're doing there, and I like the way she's drawn. I really don't like the way Lim draws the extra mutated thing in this issue. It looks, you know, too simplistic. It almost looks like a kid drew it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I like the way he draws um, Aaron, the Rogue Watcher. So it, it, it's kind of going back and forth. I, I like the way he draws Dragon Man. Uh, so for the most part, I like the yeah. art and the issue. There's just a, p a few points where it just doesn't feel... Like I said, I don't feel that depth in some of the the shots, which I you know I don't care for. Uh, but I, I also think he he's using a little bit of uh, there's almost a little bit of like John Byrne in the way he's drawing the She Hulk in a lot of the oh, shots. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. 
So, I, I mean, I go back and forth a little bit. I, I, I like some of it a lot, and I dislike some of it a little. There's never a point where I dislike it a lot. <laughs> Except for the thing. I really don't care for the mutated thing. That I have to say. And and the last yeah. issue we read, I thought the mutated thing looked particularly good, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, Purv- Jeff Purvis. Well, that was that was the Hulk issue. Um, you know what? I'm who, not sure. Yeah, we we did, did the that? two issues. We did 320, Fantastic Four, 350 of the Hulk. There was one of them I particularly liked the way the thing was drawn. I don't remember which one it was. So, yeah. so anybody listening, if I'm contradicting myself, you know, okay. Uh, <laughs> Just deal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I think the story. I, I, now I have to look back to see who that was. I think the story is very well written. I think it's engaging. I think we got a lot of stuff going on here between, you know, the uh, the feelings that the She Thing has, uh, the, the She Hulk defending her cousin to an extent, but also trying to back up, you know, what the others are doing. Uh, the Thing and Alicia kind of making, you know, making amends after uh, their breakup. Uh, Johnny being torn between Alicia and, and Crystal. At this point, you could see, you know, I, I think the 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 way it probably would have gone if they wanted to go with the traditional storytelling is he'd screw up his relationship with both of them by being attracted to both. And then Alicia would end up back with the thing. But you know, that, that doesn't take into account the whole thought that Alicia is a scroll. Yeah. I I wanted to talk about that. I'm not sure if we've ever discussed this on the show or not. I can't remember, but what, what's your, what's your feeling on that? I, I, I think that, it's funny because you know, like, Byrne tears apart what other people write. Sometimes, I, I think uh, I think Byrne kind of wrote them into a corner a little bit with the relationship, right? Didn't he get them together in the first place? Yes. Yep. So I think he he kind of like created a situation that made it tough for them to get out of. I don't think their solution was very elegant by you know saying that she was a scroll. Uh, I think there's probably better ways that they could have handled it. But, you know, it did it did fall into place with the whole secret invasion and ultimately. So it's I'm not crazy about it, but I'm willing to give it a pass, basically. So I I actually really liked um, Johnny and Alicia getting together. I remember when it first started to happen, kind of being like, wait, what? You know, he's because it just that was not a, a match you could ever see. You know, it's not, it's not something you could kind of uh, see in advance. But I also thought that was kind of the beauty of it is that, you know, with, with, as long as Ben was in the picture, you know, that that's something you never could have foreseen was those two characters hooking up. But then once Ben was gone and it happened, I actually, I actually liked it a lot. I liked that, when he was with her, Johnny suddenly matured as a character. You know, he, he stopped being such a goofball and such a ladies man and all that. And and he really focused on her and was a good husband and everything. So I, I liked all those aspects uh, of their dynamic and everything. And I, I liked where the story was going. So when they revealed her to be a scrawl, I remember being really pissed off about that because I thought it was very cheap. But then as the story continued, 
and he got over his his initial his initial revulsion and all that and came to realize that okay the woman that i was in love with is this woman you know that that she you know it it never was once he got over the realization that he he you know the woman he thought he was in love with never really existed that it was this scrawl and then acknowledged his love for her then i thought there was an interesting dynamic there and it, and i kind of was enjoying that my problem with the overall thing was that it never really went anywhere they played with it on and off on and off and then she just kind of disappeared from the narrative and i thought that was a real cheat and then it, it got to a point where you know much like say like spider-man's baby for example where they just stopped referencing it after a while and i hate when they do stuff like that it, it's to me it reeks of what you really want to do is push the reset button but this isn't dc so you can't do that so let's just not talk about it anymore and i and i'm not sure what's worse i'm not sure if if a you know restarting or rebooting is, is worse than just ignoring something that at least a, a, a portion of your fans are kind of hung up on you know mm. and that was one of those things i was hung up on is i really wanted to to get some sort of a i don't know a continuation or a or a re resolution of his relationship with Elijah because i really liked her character so because we never really get that it's kind of retroactively made me hate the whole thing and i really wish that they'd never done it if you know what i mean i i really liked him and alicia together and i'm not really sure why they did away with it um i'd like to think it wasn't just somebody being petty and you know trying to as you say you know get one back on burn but i kind of get the feeling that's what it was that and uh and apparently some of the writers felt kind of stymied by it. and th this is the the other thing i don't understand is when when writers feel stymied when a character gets married whether it's say superman or spider-man or in this case the human torch why why is that stymying for them yet reed and sue is not you know, and some other famous married uh, characters. I, I don't, I don't understand the difference. To me, that reeks of you're just not a good enough writer to be able to work with it because there are writers that can do fantastic stuff with them. I always thought Roger Stern did a great job with the married Superman and Lois Lane. So, I, I think it's more the writers themselves than it is the the character now suddenly isn't interesting just because they're married. And I, as a married man, I find that insulting too, you know? Well, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think? You know, it is difficult to write. I believe interesting things that are going to go on with people who are just happy. I think you need, you need, conf right. you need conflict to have interesting writing. Uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, there are exceptions, but even even Reed and Sue, you know, they, they've they've had their times where they were, uh, you know, apart from each other. You know, when I first started reading uh, comics regularly, uh, you know, Sue was off uh, because Reed had put Franklin into a coma uh, to to protect him. 
uh, and Medusa was a member of the Fantastic Four because she was gone. Uh, and, and it was probably, you know, about 10 issues or so before she came back after I started reading it. Uh, so I was kind of always okay with the idea that, you know, that, that there's going to be that conflict. But I think for the most part, you know, people, most people grew up with Reed and Sue being a couple. So for whatever reason, they find that more acceptable, even though they will throw in some conflict. And usually the conflict is Reed being, you know, so wrapped up in his work that he's not paying attention to her. And they, they almost make her seem petty that she's so, you know, that, you know, he's doing all this important work and, and she's, you know, not, not sympathetic to it, which I think is a little silly. But but just the same, you know, I think a lot of people grew up with, say, you know, before Spider, you know, Peter Parker and Mary Jane were married. So there's this thought of, well, it's easier if they're not together, which I don't agree with. And, well, right. you know what? I don't necessarily disagree. Maybe it is easier, but easier isn't always better. Right. You know, yeah, it's probably easier to write Peter Parker as, as a guy who's out there dating different women every once in a while. Uh, but, again, easier isn't necessarily better. So, you know, you gotta, you got to work a little harder for it. I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, so you got to come up with different conflicts for them, but they, you don't necessarily have to break up the couple. You know, the conflict could be them against others or whatever. So that's my roundabout yeah, way where I don't even know if I'm was... answering your question. <laughs> No, no, you, you, you did it, but that's, that's what I was thinking is that, okay, so now instead of the, the driving dynamic being, um, you know, you're waiting for them to hook up or maybe they're even adversarial, but you can feel a sexual tension. So you're waiting for that to kind of reveal itself with, with a married couple, you know, with a couple that's together. I don't know why it can't be them together versus whatever the the driving dynamic is you know what i mean i think the most because i i find that just as interesting yeah no i don't disagree but i, I think the most uh, famous example is uh you know the show moonlighting where when there was romantic tension right. between uh david addison and maddie hayes everybody was you know tuning in every week and you know but once they became a couple people stopped being interested in them and I think right. I think a lot of people point to that and just assume that's what's going to happen with, you know, other couples that they get together. Uh, right. But again, you know, I, I think it's a challenge to not fall into that trap. You know, you can have a married couple or a, you know, partnership between a couple that isn't married uh, without necessarily having it be uninteresting. But it's probably more challenging to write. Right. So, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did do some looking here. So this is going by Mike's Amazing World. So this would have been within Ron Lim's first year at Marvel. But he'd been in the industry uh, by this point at least a year and a half. Um, because the earliest thing Mike's got listed here is that he worked on um, X Mutants number one for Malibu, and that's dated uh, July 1st of 1986. So about a year and a half before this book. So he was still fairly new um, in the industry and everything, and, and still fairly new at Marvel. He'd, he'd been there less than a year. So I, I think that somewhat explains um the unevenness of the art 
I don't dislike any of it, but uh, but as you say, yeah, it's that you know, there's some rough spots in it. There's some um, some weird anatomy. There's some lack of uh, lack of depth, which is a really good observation because I was trying to figure out what I thought was wrong with that page, and that is a really good observation because that's exactly what's wrong with it. It lacks depth. Um, it does look very flat and static. But then again, there's some other sequences I think are really good. I do think um, while the the face model, um, or more in particular, I think it's really the hair model for She-Hulk is a little off in a lot of this. Um, at the same rate, I do think he's got a really good handle on uh, her her character model, you know, like her body model. Um, I really like page four, the whole fight sequence here and the, and the different shots of She-Hulk. She looks really good there. So, yeah, it, it, it does have some really good art and some really, um, you know, ni- it's nicely, um, what's the term? Like, lay- you know, the layouts are really good and everything. Mm. Um, it's just, it, it needs a bit of refinement, but... I mean, he he did get so much better than this. I mean, Ron Lim, I wonder where what he's up to today because to me he was always another one of those guys that seemed like he was, you know, he was really headed like he was going to be like the next George Perez, you know. And then he just I don't know, I could be wrong, but it just seemed like he kind of fell off the map. What uh, what happened with him? I'm not sure. I don't know what he's doing nowadays. I'll look him up when we get a moment, but uh. Thinking from the perspective of Thing Hulk, even though this is She Thing, She Hulk, uh, right. do you have an opinion on the battle? Um, I think it's clearly uh, She Hulk in this. I, I like that uh, She Thing starts the whole thing. You know, she's the one that starts shit. She gets in the first uh, the first hit, but almost from the start of the fight, it's pretty clear that uh, she's outclassed. You know, her strength level has gone way up from when she was just simply Ms. Marvel. And, you know, She-Hulk, or, yeah, I think it's She-Hulk remarks on how much harder she hits or something to that effect. But at the end of the day, she's still, you know, completely outclassed uh, by She-Hulk. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the fight pretty clearly goes to her. See, and I, I, when they stop, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, finish your thought. I was just going to say, when they stop fighting, it looks to me like they're stopping fighting pretty much because She-Thing realizes, well, I didn't really, you know, she says, she goes, that pounding didn't even phase you while she herself is holding her head. So I think she realizes pretty quickly that, uh, yeah, I'm outclassed here. See, I I think they throw in the one line of dialogue to try and save face a little bit, uh, where, uh, what is, what exactly does she say, uh get back to it i'm sorry but uh there it is uh yeah experience tells me we could keep this up for quite a while before both of us got splitting headaches so she kind of gives her the talk that it might be a a draw when all is said and done but i do agree with you i don't think it's a clear victory for she hulk but i think it's an edge for she hulk right and i do think if this continued based on what they show us here that you know, she would have eventually won. And part of that would have been on pure ability, and the other part might be experience because they talk about that a little bit. 
Right. But they, you well, know, they, she Hulk to me. Mm-hmm. I, I was just gonna say, she Hulk to me gives the appearance that she's no worse for wear. Like she hasn't even really even worked up a sweat yet in this fight. Whereas she thing looks like you know she's not exactly done, but at the same rate, she looks like she's already she's already feeling her lumps at this point. Yeah. They do make a point early on of saying that she's a lot more powerful than she was when she was Ms. Marvel. And that, you know, she does have, right. you know, she she does put up a better fight against She-Hulk than, you know, she would have in years gone by. Now, she was Ms. Marvel just based, based purely on the fact that she'd gone to the power broker and got amped up, right? That's my understanding. And, again, yeah. that's, that's something I didn't... I didn't really follow the whole Power Broker storyline. Uh, I don't remember. I guess it was somewhere not you know, in the mid '80s. Also, probably after I stopped reading. Uh, but I find it kind of interesting that, to know that, unless I'm mistaken, in the MCU, uh, Sharon Carter is the uh, Power Broker. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Because I, I remember Power Broker having, uh, unless I'm remembering this wrong, I think he's behind Luke Cage's transformation in in the Luke Cage uh, Netflix series. Well, you know now it's on Disney Plus, but you know that whole series. But it should does that mean it's the same? Because I think they do name drop uh, Power Broker, don't they? I don't. I think. I don't remember. Yeah, that'd be really interesting, though. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm wondering, are, are you know, are we if that's if that's true, are we then, you know, retroactively is it is it all meant to be the same character? Is it all Sharon or not? I'm I'm not really sure. I'm kind of curious if we're ever going to see those characters again anyway, because I mean I know they're bringing Daredevil in and they already brought Kingpin in, but I'm not sure are we going to see like Luke Cage and Iron Fist and. Uh, jessica jones again and all that i'm i haven't heard anything on that i don't know i I'm, but yeah that's right I, i'd completely forgotten that about sharon carter yeah you're right of the netflix series i think that the daredevil series was by far the best one uh although the oh yeah, although yeah. the uh jessica jones first season was chilling uh but you know the whole uh, purple man and his powers and you know what he was doing to people yeah uh, but it, just the same I, I thought the three seasons of daredevil were all really good in particular i i i the third season i really got into very very much so i'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do i did see something where they think uh, and i don't recall the actor's name but they they, they believe that the foggy nelson from that series is going to be back oh cool i liked him yeah. i liked him a lot yeah yeah, that's the only one of those that I saw all the way through. Because I, well, and I take that back. I, Punisher only had two seasons, right? So I, I saw Punisher, you know, all of Punisher and all of um, all of Daredevil. There was still like a, I think a whole another season of Luke Cage. I never saw. I know I never saw Iron Fist second season, and then I don't think I watched the second or third season of Jessica Jones. And I feel that one's the only one I feel guilty about. Cause I really liked the first season, but I found, uh, I found Luke Cage and Iron Fist both really, really hard to get through their, their respective, uh, first season. The so I never continued on with either of Luke those. Cage. Uh, the, I think it was the first two episodes kind of dragged for me. 
And then it was yeah. either the third or the fourth episode where they did his origin. And that's where it really picked up. And for the rest of the season, I enjoyed that. So, take that for what it's worth. But we're, we, right. we are really just tangenting, tangenting <laughs> like crazy today. Yeah, we are. So, I mean, I, I, honestly, um, I don't think there's a lot to say about this. I, you know, it was something we were interested in, in doing. And I thought it was a good read, quite frankly. But I don't think it has that much commentary value right now. Uh, and I think that's why we I, keep I thought it had more. Yeah, I thought it had more commentary uh, just by what we're doing here because uh, of, of the era where it sits and, you know, the characters it incorporates. That that was more of what I was what I took away from it was talking more about just kind of what was going on, uh, you know, with all these characters at the time. But, yeah, you're right. The individual issue itself, while well written and while I like the uh, the tussle although it's very brief yeah I, I didn't have a lot on this one i do like the dragon man i always like seeing him yeah and i, I like they defeated him by making him embarrassed right because <laughs> he's i know he's, he's like a child a long... and, and yeah, he's been presented yeah. like a child so i think it's consistent with what we've seen with the with you know with that particular character so i, I think that's well done i don't know exactly how he fell you know under the uh, influence of the rogue watcher and I do remember hearing about the Rogue Watcher, but I don't have much knowledge of where it went. So now I'm I'm curious to see where that's going to go too. I assume that will be resolved at some point in the Fantastic Four pages. Uh, but it says, you know, at the end of this issue, it says Keith Pollard returns for our first Inferno crossover as the fabulous FF face Graviton and more of this new mystery. So I assume it's going to get resolved as these issues go on. And if we do that reading project that we're both talking about doing, we'll see where that goes, because I think that could be interesting. Uh, right. You know, so so that's some this. There's a lot of little things in this that are probably bridging their way to other story points. You know, the whole thing with with Johnny feeling torn between two lovers and, uh, you know, the, you know, Crystal, Crystal is part of the FF now, but she's back in you know with the inhumans on the moon and and this you know the whole thing with with sharon and her feeling you know more comfortable that you know in her own skin as a monster i think there's a lot of stuff there that, that Engelhart is you know letting percolate a little bit and i'm really curious to see where it's all gonna go but it doesn't go there all in this issue it just kind of you know lingers enough for you to to see all of these little dangling points right and then from from what what little I know of of this particular section of, of FF history and and from some things I did some reading on, you know some of the things go places and and some of the things don't. Um, one of the things I found really aggravating is that the, the so there's an issue that's referenced early in in here, um, thing number thirty six. Because these characters, uh, Ms. Marvel, the She-Thing, and She-Hulk, they've tussled before. So they knew, they knew each other right out of the gate. Um, actually, it's the second panel of the book after you get past the splash pages, the first panel of page two. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not it either. It's, it's the bottom of the page. The bottom of page two uh, references thing number 36 now thing number 36 was the last issue of that series it was the thing solo title after um marvel two and one folded 
And I went back and read that just because I was curious, you know, of what they're referencing. But also, I was mistaken because I remembered the co- I misremembered the cover of Thing Thirty Six. It's where the thing is like holding his head while She-Hulk cha- charges into battle with another character. And I thought that was the She-Hulk She Thing fight. It's not. It's She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel. It was before she mutated into the She Thing. So anyway, I went back and I read that, and that's the last issue of the book. They fight in that issue because Ms. Marvel is very protective of Ben, and Ben is in the hospital because something's happening to him. He's he's having like these excruciating headaches, and he's starting to slowly mutate more, and all this stuff is going on. And She-Hulk comes there to see him for something. I don't remember what. And Ms. Marvel doesn't want She-Hulk to go up to his room because she's afraid it'll upset him and, and make things worse. So they end up tussling in that issue. Well, at the end of the issue, the thing breaks out of the hospital and escapes and basically goes on the run. And at the end of the issue, he's he's like mutated more. He's he's more monstrous and and he's still having all these problems and everything. And it kind of looks like he's intent on walking into the ocean and ending it at, at the end of the issue. Well, it just ends and it says the end and there's no footnote on like for the rest of this story, go such and such. It just ended. And I'm like, well, Dan, where, where the hell does this resolve? So I, I dug all over the place, and I was doing all kinds of research. And whatever. From what I could determine, the next time you see the thing, it's basically like, oh, yeah, all that got resolved, and now he's just fine again. So they never – it really never went anywhere. And it's – it's god damn, it's, it's aggravating when they do stuff like that. I, I know you and I were just talking about this with uh, – who was it? Uh, the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. Where they ended his series the same way, like he he swore vengeance on the on humanity, but then the next time you see him in uh, what was the book we were, Sub Submariner, he'd be like, oh yeah, I, I decided not to do that. I got I got over <laughs> it. Like, yeah, I, oh, I I hate when they do stuff like that, but apparently this was the same type of situation. They they left it on a cliffhanger sort of ending with thing thirty six, and then never went anywhere with it. So we never learned like. What was happening? Why was he having headaches? Why did he mutate? Nothing. So yeah, I had thought yeah. I, I had read that issue also, and I thought maybe that was when he turned into the mutated thing, but apparently not. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. That's it. That's exactly what I thought. Is oh, this must be where he mutates into the. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. All right. So Crazy. Uh, I guess we can rate this issue. Sure. Uh, I'll dive in and do the rating on this. I really like this cover, but of course, I'm a total mark for uh, for Ron Friends. He's uh, he's actually one of my favorite artists. I like the cover a lot. I like the kind of um, Kirby without being Kirby or Kirby without aping Kirby too awful much. But you can it's very Kirby influenced um, on the cover. I like that. I love how She Hulk looks. I like the angle. I like the tease of the dragon man in the sky. If you know who it is, it's obvious. If you don't, then it just looks like some weird bat thing up in the sky. Um, I like everything about this except the she thing. I just, I don't like the way she looks. Um, and I, 
I'm not sure exactly why she's got a pinhead. Yeah, she does. She has a pinhead, and she's she's all smooth. She's she she doesn't look like she looks in the issue. She's She's not bumpy. Her waist is turning in a way that it shouldn't turn. If you you look at like the way her legs are facing, her her torso should not be able to turn that far around. Yeah. She, I don't know, by by the way she looks, she it's almost like she's like some horrible burn victim or something, as opposed to, you know, on her way to becoming like a rocky thing creature. So I don't know, it just it, it I, I'm not crazy about it. And the, the the model of the face is very like Muppets to me or something. It just, I don't know, I just don't really like it. Sorry, Ron, friends. I like everything else about it, though. So cover-wise, uh, great on the cover. I'm going to say a B-minus just because, you know, She-Thing is one of the two major characters on the cover, and I really don't care for her model, but everything else I, I like pretty well. It is a little dark, too. I think the color, and of course, that's not the fault of the artist that's the, the on the colorist, but I do think it's a little dark. Um Interior art is a tough one because the interior art, it really is all over the place. What I like, I like a lot. Um, but what I don't like, uh, yeah, uh, it's there's some of it that's downright ugly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one on the interior. I'm going to say... I'm going to say a C plus on the interior because it's, it is better than average. It is really good. And I know Ron, uh, Ron Lim gets, uh, gets really good. Um, and you know, this is just his early stuff. I think it is shorn up a whole lot by, uh, by Romeo Tangal. I, I think he really did help a lot with the inks in this, with smoothing things out. And, uh, I think when we do get true depth and things that look really good, I think a lot of that is on the inker, frankly. And you had said how, how you liked the texture and the feel of um, the she thing. I think that's definitely on uh, on the, the inker for that. Um, so, yeah, um, not, not nuts about the interior, but there is a lot of it that I like, too. And then the story, I'm going to give the story a straight up A. Uh, like you, I, I think any any book that can you know make me dive in like this and be like, ooh, this I like this. I like this. I'm intrigued by every story and every subplot going on. I want more of this. Um, yeah, I think that's what you know. It's doing its job. That's what it should do, and it definitely does. I, I really want to dive back in and, and fill in this gap in my FF knowledge and, and read this stuff again. So. Yeah, I like the I like the writing a lot. So overall, you know, great for the whole issue. Um, I'll say uh, I'll say a B minus overall for the for the whole issue. It's still really good. I really enjoyed it quite a bit, and uh, it was a good tussle. I, w- I wish the tussle had lasted a little bit longer. It goes from being a pretty good knockdown drag out to all of a sudden it's like. Well, let's just you know have girls' night out type of thing. And it was I like I like that too. But like later on down, like like this could have been like the fight issue, and then the next issue is like, okay, now we made friends. Now let's you know go and have girls' night out and discuss our problems over drinks or whatever. I, I think it, the the battle could have lasted longer. Should have lasted longer. Hmm. I don't think I'm disagreeing nope. with you very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, I like the cover. I think it's pretty solid. I agree with you about the the 
she thing not you know probably being the, the worst part about it i also think there's just too many words on it uh and i know that's not the artist's fault but it is the cover's fault so you know i'm not rating the artist i'm rating the cover uh and i'm gonna say i'm gonna say it you know a c plus on the cover it's still it's still something that would make me want to pick it up and you know you, you talk about run friends run friends has posted a lot of pictures lately on facebook and i've shared a lot of them on our back to the bins page uh on facebook because yeah they're really cool anyway uh the interior art uh i agree you know what i like i what i like i like a lot what i don't like i'm just thinking meh it's not like i hate it but i you know it, it's it's got some weaknesses to it it's easy to follow the story i think you know like you said the layouts are really good um you know the the, the fight scenes are good they're just a little too short um so I, i'm gonna say a b I, you know, it, it certainly has room for improvement, but there's a lot of good in here, and the good outweighs the bad. Most, for me, the most bad is just the the actual mutated thing. I really dislike the way he's drawn. Uh, but the rest of the book, if you eliminated that, the rest of the book, I'm pretty okay with. Uh, even even areas where it's not quite up to the same level. Uh, and I agree with you totally that the story is an A. Uh, Engelhardt's juggling a lot of balls in this story, and he does so kind of seamlessly. Uh, and he makes me want to read what came before it and what comes after it. So how, how could you blame, you know, how, how could you say anything bad about that? Right. So I'm going to say straight up A on the story. Uh, and overall, I'm going to give the book just a, just a B, solid B. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's... It's almost like I feel like I'm underrating it because I really did enjoy reading it. But, you know, likewise, but I yeah. call it like I see it. So I think it's a B book. And, uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad we decided to do this one to, to veer off the, uh, the, the regular Thing Hulk path. But the next time we do a Thing Hulk issue, it will be a traditional Thing Hulk issue. I don't remember what one is next <laughs> on our, uh, on our list do you have any recollection of him uh tell you what give me one second and i can tell you i i hope everybody's enjoying our thing hulk uh retrospective as we get through it you know it, it's I, I think you know we are getting closer to the end now uh, so you know let's see here next one oh okay so the next one on the list is Incredible Hulk number 365, but this one is actually part of a basically a mini series within the Hulk series. So I'm not sure if we want to read all four issues to kind of understand the whole story or if we just want to focus on that individual issue i think what we'll do i'm not sure. i think what i what i would suggest to do i'm saying it as if i if, as if i have total autonomy to tell you what to do uh, i think <laughs> what i would suggest that we do is we read all four we synopsize all four and then we focus on the thing hope battle when we discuss it give one synopsis yeah. of the four issues i don't, I don't i'm not really suggesting that we sit and re and synopsize four separate issues in four separate stories uh it's it's one mini series effectively uh you know hulk 364 through 367 and uh, i think we can just like i said synopsize it as one story 
This uh, this could be very interesting because if I'm interpreting this correctly, I think it's actually the Hulk versus she thing, not the thing. I think you're correct. So that uh, yeah, that could be that could be very interesting. Yeah, this is uh, this is in that era where I had uh, I had already stopped reading the Hulk. So this this is all new territory for me. I I have these issues, but I have not ever read this particular story. I know so. I read this years ago when we were talking about doing this retrospective. Cool. So I will reread it, and uh, having reread disposed of the monster, we'll go we'll go through <laughs> it then. But in the meanwhile, that that'll do it for this week, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>